And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Well, Colin and Molly, I'm excited about today because we're going to be looking at both cowardly and angry friends. Mm. And we're going to start right into 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start there and work our way into the text. And so for our listeners, if you haven't been with us um, up to this point and you haven't heard the previous ones, you want to start with, you know, some of the jealous friends that we did and the courageous friends that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some pretty powerful stuff that's been shared mm-hmm. so far. So we are real thankful. And we've just prayed and asked the Lord to, to be with us with this, um, this really unique material about how our children gain friendships. Um, one of the things we talked about earlier is that in the book of Proverbs, there are six types of friends. Mm-hmm. The, um, the simple, which is a person that believes everything and is rather thoughtless. And then there's the person that's gaining knowledge. He's youthful and knowledgeable. And the wise person, the discerning person. And then there's the foolish person and the mocking person. And so those six people represent all the types of people that our children will become. One, They'll become one of those in, um, over the years. And so we want to guide our children to become the wise and discerning, discerning between good and evil. And David, he is the demonstration of probably one of the wisest rulers in all of Israel. And let's, let's find out what the background was in his life to get him to the point where he became a discerning, wise, courageous um, young man of God. You know, so I'd like to just start kind of like in, if you've... Go back with me to First Samuel chapter sixteen, Colin and Molly. Um, take a look at take a look at this. It says this that Saul, when they're looking for this person to um, come and play before Saul, Saul's got these headaches. Um, one of the things that they find is they find this this young man. He's a Bethlehemite, and it says this. It says this. He says I've seen this. I've seen this young man. He's skillful in playing. That means he's a, he plays an instrument. And by the way, where did he get his instrument? Did he make it? Yeah, I think so. Mm. And if you make something, you care for it, you know. Yeah. Um, kids today have so much, it seems like, and, you know, it hasn't cost them anything. So if it doesn't cost you something, the value seems to be less for, for children. So he's skillful and plain. He's a man of valor. Um, the book of Proverbs chapter 5 talks about valor. Mm. And it talks about not giving your valor to another. So if you if you start to lose your virtue by doing things that are immoral, improper, profane, and obscene, what happens is what you've gained over the years, you literally, it starts to deteriorate. You start to lose it. God causes you to lose your valor. Yeah. Could you define valor? Yeah, absolutely. So in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek... Um, it says, add to your faith virtue mm-hmm. and to virtue knowledge. And knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So those are seven seven virtues. And they're all added to faith. Add, add and the word add is the word korageo, mm-hmm. epikorageo, which means um, add at your own expense. It was a combination between a donor and a choir master, and both of them had to give in order to make the production move forward. And they had to give of their own expense. So Paul uses this term. It was really something. When I was in Israel, we they had just uncovered an ancient. Um, it was a uh, outdoor theater. Uh, it seated thousands of people. So it was under this. It was under sand after you know several thousand years under sand, and they had just excavated it. And 
and they found an old sign, colon. If I didn't see it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it. But guess what Guess what word was on the sign? Mm-hmm. Epikorigao in Greek. I'm like, they had Greek, and they had that, I think it was also in Hebrew. And I'm like, I can't believe it. There's my word. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so. Um, Why was it in the, the theater? I don't know. Someone probably just put it up there knowing, knowing it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> of course, yes. As one does. <laughs> so. So, uh, yeah, this epikorigao word, adding, add at your own expense to your own faith. So add to your faith, what? Virtue. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Seven virtues added to faith. Mm -hmm. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But without the seven virtues, faith without virtue is... Dead. Yeah, kind of dead. You know, misdirected, misplaced. Mm Mm-hmm. So the very first word, add to your faith, virtue, is the first word. And it means manly valor. Oh. And valor is, is this idea of, you know, you, you run into the battle. You, you're not afraid of the battle. Mm. You, you, you're, you initiate. Courageous. You, that's courageous valor. It's courageous virtue is what mm. it is. And so, so David uh, says he's a man of valor. You know, and we, we, how do we know that story? How do we know him to be a man of valor? What did he do? Well, we have the story about him killing Goliath. And before that. And before that, we have. Um, what else did he kill? Oh, the lion and the yeah. bear. Yeah. And you had, you were demonstrating to me yesterday how it was done. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. I always, I always hear this story preached, but I have a theory about how David killed the lion. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you watch martial arts at all, and if you watch. Chokeholds, uh, I was a wrestler. And there's a particular chokehold called a guillotine chokehold, where you take the person's head. Imagine the person's head is like in your arm, and they're facing you, and you lean back in a guillotine choke. You can probably Google it. That's a, I mean, how would you? And you, you lean back, and that way the mouth and the claws are behind you. But the problem is you have to hold on. Mm-hmm. And you wow. have to have enough strength to hold on to that chokehold until the lion either falls asleep or you choke the lion out and then you kill the lion. <laughs> so it would take an enormous amount of of strength yeah. to hold on to a lion. Yeah. It was well, infinitely I mean, infinitely terrifying, but also strong. <laughs> both as, of us both of us are <laughs> <laughs> Molly and I are chomping at the bed. We both have questions but, for you. But if you know about animals, anything about animals, if you put them in certain holds, they pacify. Oh. So there's a certain amount in which you need to know a specific way uh-huh. in the ancient world to kill a lion, which meant you were skilled, uh-huh. which meant you've either seen it done before or you've been taught it. That's crazy. So that requires a certain level of expertise and training in wrestling, in chokeholds. And so in other words, they had these ancient ways of killing lions. And if you look at, if you, there's a lot of Greek artwork about it where they show people killing lions with their bare hands. But it's it's something that very few people could do because of what it would take. Mm-hmm. And, and David had was, what it took. How about a bear, though? I mean, this... I have no idea how you kill a bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said he did both the lion. He grabbed them by their beard. But, but... but my, my suspicion is, if you were to research Roman coliseums mm-hmm. and bear fights or lions fights, you would see they would have certain taxes, tactics that they would employ mm. to kill wild animals. I would require a lot of skill and to strength. get your arm around his neck. Yeah, and I'd be like... Well, the the beard of the lion, the, when he grabs him by the beard... Oh, yeah, he did, That kind of serves as like a... 
you at the base of the beard, like not at his head, but the base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of big mane of the lion is going to keep them, sort of keep your. It's going to kind of make it hard for them to pull their head out uh-huh. in a way. But this was a very specific type of lion that that um, no longer exists. So hmm. this is a theory based upon a theory that I have. <laughs> I'd be thinking like, okay, is he finally asleep? <laughs> I think right. I'll hold out a little. You let go. You <laughs> like attacks. Okay, so so David's a man of valor. Um, he's proven that. He's also a man of war. It says. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is when he's young, right? This is true. Yeah, he would not have been over thirty. He had to have been under thirty. What made him a man of war at that at that mm-hmm. time in his life? This had to have been courage and valor. It had to have been the characteristics that exemplify a warrior. Mm. Part of it, too, is the music. Um, Music and poems are distinctly a warrior thing. Really? Absolutely. Think of, like, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh They're poems about warriors, and warriors are singing poems. Mm. And you think about um, samurai. Mm -hmm. Samurai were poets. They (laughs) would recite a haiku before they killed, killed, they, you know... Mm -hmm. Whatever, and the, it's warrior culture has always been married to song, entertaining each other by the fire, mm. jokes, music, and it's almost like a camaraderie thing. So, mm. so think about it this way: How many cowboy westerns you watch where someone pulls out a guitar and starts singing it? <laughs> Remember that one western with uh, John Wayne, and there uh, who's that? Was it Dean Martin? It was mm-hmm. singing. Mm-hmm. So it was part of, um, it's always been part of a warrior culture, culture mm-hmm. manly culture. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, inter- also, David was very skilled at, you know, throwing a stone, you know, in mm-hmm. a sling. And so he had learned the skill of battle, mm-hmm. you know, by throwing those. In, in fact, the book of uh, Judges, you know, it talks about the, um, the, the men that said they had faces of lions. These men of war, the Benjamites, they had faces like lions, and it says that they could hurl a stone and hit it. It was like a hairbreadth, mm. you know. So they were able to be so skilled. Can you imagine hitting something like that? Well, a, a good stone throw. So we have some Roman uh, shots. They're made of lead, and my favorite one has an inscription on it. That says, "Take that." <laughs> <laughs> but, but the slingers. What made them so dangerous is that you could penetrate armor with mm. a sling, bronze armor. You could poke through bronze armor, you could poke through a shield. And so slingers also had the advantage of jumping, slinging, and they could curve the rocks over their opponent's shields and mm. kill a man. Mm. And so that's why the Benjamites at the end of Judges are absolutely devastating mm-hmm. because they're trained warriors. Mm. In both left hand and right hand. Absolutely, because yeah. you don't become a left handed warrior unless you train from your youth. Mm. So what the Benjamites would do is they would tie your right hand behind your back when okay, you're wait, wait. young. This is, this is my mind to tell. Oh, go right ahead, <laughs> okay. sir. <laughs> so so I, I learned this from a um, one of my professors. His name was Dr. Colin Smith. <laughs> and I have his son here in the studio today. Um, no, I'll let you finish the story because when I heard that from your dad, he got it from a professor in Cornell. Yes, he did. And, uh, yes, he did. And that blew me away. And, and mom and dads, as you're listening to this, you've got to be able to to take this principle because if we want our children to be able to become highly skilled, and that's what this scripture is talking about. Chapter 16, listen to this. Uh, David was a skill, he was skillful in playing an instrument. He was a man of valor. He was a man of war. He was prudent in speech and a man of good presence. Mm-hmm. And the Lord was with him. Now we're going to cover those in a second, but the Benjamites, they could, they could fight both left-handed and right-handed because the enemy 
generally thought the Benjamites could only fight right-handed because the word Benjamin, Benjamin, is the, the word son of my right hand. And so when they would fight in battle, they were getting slaughtered. And so mom had to do something about it. Colin? Yeah, so, so it took an amazing amount of commitment and dedication to raise a warrior. Mm. And so from a young age, the parents would have to be committed to taking this young child tying his right hand, binding his right hand behind his back Mm -hmm. so that when he went out and practiced slinging with the other boys, he had to use his left hand. Mm. He had to load with his left hand. He had to coordinate with the left hand. He had to throw with his left hand. So the coordination he would build up over time, he would be skilled in his left hand, and that would give him an advantage in battle. Um, When you see the construction of ancient fortifications, it's constructed so, so as you go up, the castle is always on your right as you're going uphill. Hmm. And and so as you're going up, they want your sword hand to be switched with your shield hand so you have to block the rocks coming down from the wall with your strong hand and your sword hand is your right hand. Hmm. So if you can have your shield and your sword hand, you have to use your left hand to fight. So you're blocking the rocks coming out the wall with your right and the castle wall is on the right. And, and you have to hold your sword with your left, so you're weak with your left. It puts oh, you at a disadvantage to fight. So you put your, your shield is on your right hand, and your sword is on your left hand when you're going up the hill. Yeah, because they've <laughs> positioned the fortress in a way in which you're coming up the fortress, and the walls of the fortress are on your right. Mm-hmm. If you ever see a relief of the Battle of Lakesh, mm-hmm. you see the exact same oh, interesting. pattern. It's actually at Southern Baptist uh, Seminary. They have it in their library, a relief of the Battle of and you can see the warriors coming up with the shields in the right hand and their swords in their left. So they're at a disadvantage. They're at a natural disadvantage. Um, unless mom prepared their children to be warriors of both hands. Yes. So it took an enormous commitment mm. and dedication at a young age for parents to raise a warrior. To be skilled in the craft of war- warfare was not something that you simply decided to do when mm. you were in your 20s. It was something that your parents had to prepare you for. So many how many parents give up the battle when their kids say, I don't want to take these piano lessons anymore. I don't want to do this guitar lesson anymore. I don't want to do, you know, this this um, violin lesson anymore. I don't want to, you know, whatever it is that your children are preparing for that you think is important to them. Mom and Dad, all I can say right now is that I have Molly in the studio, and Molly plays the flute, and she's really good. Um, Nina the other night was playing the violin, and she's really good. Mm-hmm. Rainy the other day was playing the guitar, and she's really good. The three of them were playing, and I sat there listening to them. And you guys are just like, you weren't doing this for anybody. No. You were doing it for yourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You were enjoying your music mm-hmm. that you had been equipped with over the years, and you guys did something that was so wonderful. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to just keep going. It was just incredible. And what... Molly, did you want to take flute lessons? You yeah. did, you did, didn't you? <laughs> I, I did, but I did. My mom did make me take piano lessons. I didn't really enjoy that. And then later in my life, I did appreciate that because there was a need at the church I was at. There was no one who could play the piano, so I was able to fulfill a role there. Mm-hmm. So. And you do that here from time to time as well. Play the piano once in a while. Yeah. yeah and so just to add to this, um, we're talking about Benjamites who are slingers. Mm-hmm. Who was from the tribe of Benjamin who was a slinger? Wasn't it the guy who killed Eglon? Yes, but who else is from the tribe of Benjamin in this story? And Saul. For, yes. And Wait, who killed Saul? who killed Goliath with the sling? David. Can you imagine the embarrassment? What? Oh, wow. I didn't know Saul was a bit, I guess. Can you imagine yeah, the Bible. You know what it would be <laughs> no, like? No, that's crazy. It would be like if, if you refused to play hockey 
and an, and you're a Canadian and an American played hockey, and he won, and he's the greatest hockey player ever, and you just shamed all of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> like this is a huge deal that a, uh-huh. he killed Goliath with a sling, hmm. and Saul is a Benjamite. Hmm. Interesting. That's, crazy. That's very interesting. Okay, so so the the application here is is very simple. That at a young age, David was being prepared. He watched his father's sheep. Mm-hmm. He's out in the cold. He's out in the desert. It's not easy to watch these sheep. He kills a lion and a bear. His parents have to trust him to God. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in dangerous situations, you know, during the night. Mm-hmm. So this is not easy. Some parents have to be looking forward, saying, like, hey, what am I, how am I preparing my children? Mm-hmm. And is it important to, to play the violin and the piano and guitar? How important will this be for them in later life? It's very important. Mm-hmm. I, wish, I wish I had been forced to play the guitar. I would love to play the guitar <laughs> today. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, we don't have this perspective today. Mm-hmm. But you prepare your kid for the future by sl- mm-hmm. introducing him to the world, by exposing him to danger or harsh conditions, slowly bits at a time, used to be the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why we, we were so effective in World War II was the Boy Scouts. Whoa. You know, we prepared a generation of young men to to really be thinking on yeah. their feet and to be resourceful and to have the teamwork that they needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reason why um, Hitler's SS was so powerful, Hitler Youth. Oh, oh yeah. He, they had prepared an army as well. Early education. And they started yeah. at young ages, yeah. very well, doing, young ages. They're doing that right now in our schools for the wrong things, you know, for, yep. you know, gender identity and all the other stuff mm-hmm. that's going on. So they're, they're, they're training our children at a young age. What we need to do with our children, not just in the music realm, but also in, in other realms, realms of government, realms of, of agriculture, horticulture, mm-hmm. you know, um, culinary, um, realms of, of art and and, um, you know, poetry and music, all of the areas our children need to be exposed at an early age. Mm-hmm. We used to take our children when they were like six, eight, and 10. I remember that. We took them to, and um, some parents might not like this, but I'll just tell you what we did. But we took them to Broadway. They saw The Lion King. They were blown away by it. Wanted to make sure that it was nothing, you know, offensive in there. Mm-hmm. We, I remember we, t- we saw Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, to this very day, mm-hmm. all of our family, we still talk about that experience there do you know how they made the the the, uh, the beanstalk no so picture picture 15 actors mm-hmm. all coming together and they're dressed in green tights okay and they're mm-hmm. they're, they're look they look like part of a tree okay you can't just their their outfits and then all of a sudden they're all climbing on each other no way crawling up each other forming it is before our very eyes it looks like an actual beanstalk is growing up into you know where you can't see them anymore. Go right through the roof. Oh, they're, that's crazy. They're gone, and it and it and then they stood just absolutely still. It's like it was a tree trunk that just grew up into the sky. You know, this was a play. It was phenomenal that they could actually do this. Mm. You know, and then there's Jack, and guess what Jack's got to do? He's got to climb the. Beach. He's got to climb them. Yeah, and he climbs them. He's, what? And we don't. And and now the perspective of us in the audience, my three kids and my wife, we're looking at. We forget that those are people. Those are, we think it's a tree. That's how amazing this was. That's crazy. Yeah. And so we exposed them to these amazing art forms at an early age. And look at, look what they do today. I mean, they're extremely creative, right? That was the preparation that we wanted them to have at an early age. But we need to do this most, most important in the area of godliness, mm. the word of God. This one family in Arizona they have their children in seventh grade. 
they have to do two tests. They call it the lamplighter test. <laughs> I love it. They have to read all 250 books in one year, and they have to write the Bible out from Genesis to Revelation. They have to write it out. The mom and dad told me that the character development of these children is exponential during that time. And then at the end of the year, they get to choose anywhere they want to go in the world with their dad. One, I think one time they went to, one, one, uh, one of the children went to, with their dad to Cambodia. They wanted to go on a missions field. One went to Israel. Um, they've all gone to different, different places. Mm-hmm. A child at the end of a year like that that's writing out the whole Bible, that's reading these kinds of books that develop your worldview, at the end of the year, they have developed a worldview where they're seeing the world differently now. Mm-hmm. And they get to experience it with their dad. That's exactly what God wanted for a new king in Israel. What were they supposed to do? One of the very first things they were supposed to do was to write out all of the law. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And so <clears throat> as we're preparing our children, you know, David was prepared, you know, and he, what did he give us? He gave us the entire book of Psalms for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, writing, he was writing scripture. God was working in his heart when he was a little, little kid in preparing him. And so as we have this, this prepared young man, he's now brought into the service of Saul. And what happens from there, Colin? Well, um, in verse 19, um, Saul sends for him. And in verse 20, uh, Jesse sends him to Saul. And it says in 21, David came to Saul and he stood before him. And he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. Saul loved him. Saul loved him. Wow, isn't that amazing? Yeah, why did he love him like that? Yeah, why did he love him like David that? David was a lovable guy. His name is Beloved. Ooh. He was a lovable guy. That's amazing. Because Jonathan, that was the first time he saw him, or one of the first times he saw him, he was his soul was knit to him and oh, he loved interesting. him. interesting. Mm-hmm. That is true, yeah. Hmm. David has just had a very lovable personality. <laughs> I'm going to go south so quickly, though, for David because— All mean, of his strengths became his weaknesses. All of his cunning— became bad. David's or Saul's? David's and Saul's. So Saul um, has some redeemable qualities. He has some pretty good qualities in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But through disobedience, Saul ends up going further and further. It's like a crack. It widens and it widens. And this is character flaws. The character flaws you see in your kids, if you don't address them, they're like a crack. Mm -hmm. It will widen and widen over time, and eventually it will break apart. But when you see a character flaw in David, it comes out in in his dealings with Bathsheba and Uriah. He's sneaky. He's underhanded. He's good-looking. That doesn't work in his favor because he gets the girl. He goes after the women. The women love him. Not a good thing. Mm. He's sneaky. He has people trust him. He's he's very charismatic. Mm -hmm. He can convince these people to pull back and let Uriah get killed. Mm. And then he tries to cover it up, the implications. But the difference between Saul and David is simple. Mm-hmm. Saul begs for Samuel to pray for him. Pray for me, Samuel. No, no, he holds on to Samuel. And he's trying to get someone else because his faith isn't real. David says, I repent. I have sinned against the Lord. It's me and the Lord, and I have sinned. Mm, only me. It's mm-hmm. only me. He has a personal relationship with God. And that's the difference. And he, and he also fulfills a responsibility. You know, you would think that some men, after that terrible, you know, ordeal with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband, etc. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does he does take care of her, you know. And you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's 
he, he fulfills a responsibility. He doesn't draw back and try to say like, okay, well, we'll let your family take care of you. He does take care of her mm-hmm. and uh, recognizes. And, and, and that in itself is that all of Israel now gets to see, you know, this is, this is public now. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's no longer going to hide it. Absolutely. But when you see Saul and, and David's relationship, one of the things that makes it so unique is Saul starts out loving David. Mm. And then he ends up hating him. And, and, and this is the unique part. That's very common in relationships. The unique part is David loves Saul back and never stops loving him. Mm. And so David refuses to strike the Lord's anointed. How does a parent, Colin, prepare their children in the area of becoming a man of valor, a man of war, fighting for the right things for God, mm-hmm. you know, a man of great character? And notice what also it says. It says that he was a man of of um, prudent in speech, mm-hmm. you know, where did he learn that art, you know? Mm-hmm. How did he learn that? Did he learn it from his family? Did he learn it with the sheep? You know, how did how does he learn that? So so how do we get our children, and you're, you've got children, you've got teenagers right now. My children are in their 30s and in their 40s. How do you, as a dad, get your children to be prepared in these areas for their future? How do you get them to... Um, not be afraid to start becoming more courageous, mm-hmm. to becoming more skillful? How do, you, how do you do that as a dad? I think it all kind of boils down to trusting, teaching our kids to trust that God is present with them wherever they go mm-hmm. and seeking out people who, who believe the same thing. You know, um, when, you're, when you're looking at avoiding danger or being afraid of things, the reason you are is because... You don't know the Lord is with you. Yeah. And the reason that you can have skill and courage moving forward is you know the Lord will be with you. So I think we need to really be examples to our kids. Mm. And we need to push them in knowing that God's preparing them for something. Mm. Give them a goal. Give them something. Say, God is preparing you for something great. These piano lessons might be hard now. But down the line, there's going to be something that God is preparing you for. And so you need to stick with this. You need to trust that God is going to use this for his glory. I remember when my we um, sent our kids, on each one on a missions trip. Um, Jonathan went to Mexico. Jennifer went to Brazil. And David went to um, South Africa, somewhere in Africa. And um, all three of them came back completely changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was such a major influence on their lives that it was several years before you started to see it dwindle a little bit. But I think those those opportunities, seeing life mm-hmm. from a third world perspective, seeing needs that they've not seen before. You have to present your kids with real challenges mm-hmm. and you have to let them face real adversity. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't need to throw them into the fire or throw them in over their heads. But um, what you need to do is you need to let your kids face these challenges and learn to trust God on their own which is super hard to do if you love your kids. Saul started his entire career with, remember how you said how he started is how he ends? Mm-hmm. He started hiding in the baggage compartment. Mm-hmm. You know, here he is hiding in a tent while Goliath is yelling out all of these threats. <laughs> Comment on that. Well, that's Saul's character. I mean, when you don't believe the Lord is with you, you're going to exaggerate danger and you're going to run from painful situations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, this world is not a safe place. 
And you have to understand there are things that can happen to us. But mm-hmm. that's just the truth. But we have to do is we have to show our kids that despite of this, we have to have them believe that God is with them. And that, A, first thing, God is with us and he won't leave us in our trials. And secondly, God is strong enough to have deliver us from any trials we mm. fall into. And so no matter what we face, whatever risks we face, God is there. It's interesting. You said, I never thought of that. They exaggerate the danger. That reminds me of Proverbs 22. The sluggard says, uh, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets, you know, mm-hmm. or I think it's going to snow, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they come up with all kinds of excuses because there's an exaggerated danger. That's interesting. Yeah. Mom and dad, if your children are like that, if they tend to exaggerate the danger, the very first thing I would ask you is to see if you do that yourself so that you can, you know, now you have to start being strong before them. You have to show them that you're no longer afraid or timid because uh, that's how our children learn. They learn th- mm-hmm. learn through us. So having said that, I'm going to close this session. And, and I'm looking forward. Tomorrow, we're going to do God's Anointed, okay? Mm-hmm. And we'll do that along with, um, again, the type of friends that our children choose. Uh, David has got to recognize in his relationship with Saul and his relationship with Jonathan, he's got to recognize who's anointed in his life and who's not. So we're going to do that tomorrow. Well, let's save that that subject for the next broadcast. And so we're going to bring this one to a, to a close here. Colin, thanks so much. This has been incredible. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit lamplighter.net slash podcast and fill out the form. That's lamplighter.net slash podcast.